The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Hello and welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler, your host. The show, as usual, is brought to you by the Grace Gawler Institute for Integrated Cancer Solutions and we are located on the Gold Coast in Australia but we have a global outreach to cancer patients to clients everywhere. You can contact me always on my email. If you look on the webpage, you'll find that, or you can go to the website, which is gracegawlerinstitute.com. You can also follow up each week on my blog, and the blog address is gracegawlermedia.com, and there you'll find resources and links associated with the interviews on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Today, I have a very special guest, Jeffrey Deslandis. He's written a wonderful little book, a very inspiring book about his recovery from stage four lymphoma. He's going to share his story through the ups and the downs, and then how he actually found his solution after four recurrences over several years. He had a period of time when it looked like everything was very grim and there was no hope because he had become resistant to his chemotherapy treatments, including monoclonal antibody treatment. So he's going to share with us from Cancer Good Things Grow today. I'm going to read something from the beginning of his book. It's a poem attributed to Mother Teresa and it says a lot about Jeffrey Deslandis and his attitude to life. And it may very well be why he's here today alongside uh, his treatment with the vaccines. It goes like this. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motive. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win. Some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend your years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the best you have 
and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And on that note, I'd like to introduce to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Jeffrey Dislandis, to tell us about his story. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I'll just get you to speak up just a little bit if you can, uh, Jeffrey. That's great. Um, now, you have a book from Cancer Good Things Grow, wonderful title, which we're going to talk about during the show today. Now, you write that the book is about my life leading up to my first diagnosis with cancer, the cancer journey and my life beyond cancer, very important. I'll do my best to explain what it is really like to be faced with life-threatening cancer, you say. So, Jeffrey, can you tell our listeners today about your life before being diagnosed with cancer? Yes, it's a bit hard to know where to start, but um, I just had a what I would call a normal life. I never thought of cancer or being faced with a life-threatening illness, but um, my life was my my work and my family. Um, <clears throat> I went to university, got a bachelor's degree in engineering. I went to University of Melbourne, got a master's and then a PhD, doctor of philosophy in mechanical engineering and set off with my career. Along the way, got married, had three children, two girls and a boy, and then got divorced and remarried again and had a another boy and a girl so ended up with five children and um, I guess my career was you know what I call in the book bringing home the bacon where you provide for your family and you aspire to um, improve your career improve your income you know you all the benefits that come with a job and all the benefits from the, the company that you work for that that I thought was what life was about Mm, and that was to change. It was to change very <laughs> suddenly. So uh, your diagnosis must have been really devastating at the time. B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, follicular, mixed with small and large cells, stage 4, with the BCL2 gene translocation, spleen and bone marrow involvement. That is a shocker of a diagnosis. So let's go back to that day in 1999, if we can, when you were first diagnosed with cancer. And can you explain your diagnosis from the medical point of view and share your personal experiences from that day? Um, yes. I mean, I didn't realise I was sick. I, I was in a career of executive position with a large mining company. We have yearly health checkups, and I was checked up the previous year, and they said, no, everything's fine. And then a few months later, I started to feel a little bit tired at night especially at night time and a little bit bloated after meals but a bit of back pain but I had no idea that it was a disease growing in me and then um, at one stage I got very tired and a pain under the chest and um, eventually I found the spleen had doubled in size and was pushing on the rib cage, and they sent me for a CT scan and then uh, I was going to the doctor for a the diagnosis and uh, I just called in on the way out, doctors on the way home from work as I normally do um, you know diligent worker and um, doctor sat there and he said oh, unfortunately you've got you know stage 4 uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I was just I just burst <laughs> sorry yeah. burst into tears yeah. I just uh, so yeah. shattered I thought, what <laughs> couldn't believe it you know it was just like 
And he said, you know, unfortunately, was the first word that he said was, um, I just couldn't believe that I was so sick and so gravely ill with this cancer. Mm. So what happened uh, from that point onwards then? I guess you you went into the hole from being a normal person walking around. You, you went down that corridor where uh, it's all very indefinite and strange and unfamiliar. Oh, yes, it opened up a whole new world. Like Friday, I'd, you know, come, as I say, called in the doctors on the way home from work and then never went back to work. Started Monday, the whole thing started off to the oncologist and a whole series of tests and away it went chemotherapy and tests and waiting and more tests and just went on from there yeah it's a very rugged time um now, in looking back, uh, you write in your book, uh, which, by the way, I really love the title, and it's the title of this show, From Cats and Good Things Grow. I'll talk to you about that title later, but I love it. And uh, you wrote in your book you probably experienced, in looking back, the five stages of grief experienced uh, and described by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her writings. Can you speak to those stages of grief from your personal experience, Allah, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yeah, I guess my first um, feeling was denial. Denial. I didn't believe that I was could have had life-threatening cancer. You know what they told me about the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was it would probably respond to treatment, but they couldn't cure it, and I certainly, you know, may certainly die. So I couldn't believe that that was me. So it took some time for me to accept that. Yes. I did have cancer. I also felt it was like anger. I felt it was very unfair that someone like me should get cancer. I had, you know, family, five children. I had a um, great career. I was a what I call a kind person, helped other people. I wasn't overweight. I didn't smoke. I hardly drank. I was fit and healthy. I ate the, you know, ate the right food. Mm-hmm. It seemed very unfair that someone like me should be chosen. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't mind a dollar for every time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to be, a, actually, just a comment, it seems to be an unfairness of, about cancer. It seems to, my observation, and people say, I'm, you know, people don't always agree with me, but my observation is, is that nice people get cancer. It seems to be people who help others and take on a, maybe other people's problems, but people who are got everything to live for or you know are generally nice people seem to be sometimes struck by the cancer but <laughs> <laughs> just an observation yeah yeah a few have made that observation too yeah and then probably the next uh, feeling i felt was depression i felt very depressed that uh, my life was going to be or could be over and that everything i'd strived in life to be like uh, you know whatever your, your career aspirations or your retirement traveling you know, seeing children grow up that that all might be ended so I felt very depressed that you know that that may not happen and um and then probably the last one would be acceptance uh, you know accepted that yes the cancer is here and um we're going to hit it on the head and let's go and uh, fight this thing and don't just sit back and accept it as you know fait accompli but attack it and get on with it did you do the bargaining stage as well? You know, uh, Kubler Ross talks about that, where you know you sort of try to make a deal with God. If only I do this, this might happen. Yeah, I guess I did quietly. Yeah, I haven't sort of, but yeah, sort of a personal thing. But yeah, I probably did that. Yes, 
Mm. So uh, what did you do, you think, that uh, allowed you to be more accepting at the diagnosis time? Is there anything in particular that, you know, came forward? Not that I put a finger on, no. Um, no. It was just an internal process, I, um, I guess, for you then, looking at how one accepts, because there's a lot of negatives, and then suddenly you've just got to get on with it. Yeah. I guess I'm an engineer by training, and, you know, the sort of, I guess, in the end it came down to, well, we've got to go through the mechanical steps of having the you know, treatment for the cancer and just go through that step by step and just go through it mechanically. That's actually a very good point Uh, and I I hadn't thought of it that way but it's now very obvious to me Uh, because if you can have a structured life and you can then sort of uh, fall off the perch a little bit with with a diagnosis or bad news, you can pick yourself up again if you're a person who can structure things and I think that's something quite significant you've, uh, you've just said there. Um, so, Jeffrey, knowing what you know now after cancer, and in line with the five stages you've just talked about, you're a really optimistic person, as I've got to know you recently uh, in our conversations. How do you equate the concept of positive thinking with being real about cancer and, and dealing with what is rather than putting sort of a, a false positive thinking on it? I mean, we all like to think positive, positively and be optimistic. Um, but there's a realness about what you've written and what you say. Yes, I think it's very important to have positive thinking. Like, I think I write, I feel myself, I'm a stubborn person. I'm not going to let this person, this cancer, you know, get the better of me. But other people have described it better. Determined is probably a better a better way of putting it. But um, I think it's um, important to say, well, OK, I've got cancer. I'm going to get on with it, get it, get it. Know, treated and not not let it rule my life and um, as I say in the book you know cancer we're a person with you know something like a hundred trillion cells and maybe only a handful of those cells have cancer yet we let ourselves call you know a cancer victim or cancer patient or we let that let those cancer cells dominate us we're we're 99.9 percent normal cells so we've got a tendency to let a small number of cancer cells dominate us as a person. Mm, mm. That, that's uh, also very true and a good point. I know uh, sometimes when people come into uh, my clinic to see me, I'll ask them what's right with them. <laughs> they look at me as if I have two heads. <laughs> well, I'm here to know what's wrong with me and for you to help me. And uh, I think that reframe of looking at what is right with you rather than focusing on the what is wrong, very helpful. I've heard that from a number of survivors. So there's probably key tip number, uh, number two. Uh, Um, Okay, now you underwent several medical treatments from that diagnosis in 1999 through to 2006. Um, Can you tell us what the treatments were and walk us through the journey of that time and, of course, for for recurrences? Yes, it was quite a journey. Um, 1999, when I was first diagnosed, uh, we did the normal chemotherapy, which is... um, um, cyclophosphamide, it's called CHOP or CVP actually, but cyclophosphamide been Christine epirubicin and prednisolone that's the standard treatment for um, lymphoma in those days and um, there was a new drug coming along called Mabvira or in the US they call it Rituximab 
that wasn't available in Australia at that time, so we went, proceeded without that. Uh-huh. So we had the CVP treatment. Uh, that extended over about three to four months, and that was quite aggressive. I lost my hair. Not that that's a big deal. But, um, you know, it was quite debilitating, the treatment, and um, I didn't didn't know whether the treatment would work, so we had to, you know, obviously test through throughout the period, and at the end of the, of the eight treatments, um, the cancer had shrunk pretty much, pretty pretty much gone, and the, the scans they did was showing that it wasn't active, so I was declared to be, you know, not exactly in remission, but the treatment had worked, and um, we'll see how things went from there. But I, I was told before I started treatment that the cancer was incurable, and my doctor told me as long as the sun shines in the sky today my cancer would come back he didn't know when it when it would come back but he said it, it will come back so even bless me under no illusions that the cancer would return which was a bit of a shock <laughs> to know that they could the cancer would respond to treatment but it would not disappear and uh surely as he spoke probably six months later um the cancer recurred this time actually in my mouth for some funny reason but i had a lump come up in my mouth and I said to my oncologist that the I had a lump in my mouth, and he said, "Oh no, don't be silly. That's just a, a blocked saliva gland." And the lump got bigger. So in the end, I took my own action and went back to the surgeon who'd done the first biopsy and uh, had it taken out and had it analysed. And sure enough, it was lymphoma again. And my oncologist rang up and said, "Oh, you've got lymphoma again." I said, "What well, told you? You didn't listen to me, did you?" But, <laughs> Jeffrey, I'm just going to stop you at this point and I'd love to come back and finish this uh, this segment. We just have to take a short break now in Navigating the Cancer Maze. Don't go away, folks. You're listening today to a wonderful story of Jeffrey Deslandis and his recovery from stage 4 lymphoma. Back soon. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Goller Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Goller Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawley, your host, and here today with Jeffrey Deslandis, who has a remarkable story to share with you about how he recovered from stage 4 lymphoma. Uh, Jeffrey, before the break, we were actually looking at uh, your second time around where you had the tumour diagnosed in your mouth. Can you take us forward from that time up to 2006? Yes, so 2000, the cancer returned for the first time in my mouth, and um, I was the one who initiated the action to have it have it analysed. But anyway, we so at that stage we went for a new treatment, the Mabthera or Rituximab, which is a monoclonal antibody which has uh, less side effects. So we had that treatment and uh, had the, the lesion in my mouth cut out, and um, then the cancer went away for a, a, for another four years. So wasn't until 2004 I was sitting in bed one day and on Father's Day I guess it was and I felt a couple of lumps in my groin I thought oh that's a bit unusual so back to the doctors and yes lymphoma again in both sides of the groin so we again went for the Mabthera treatment and then that went away for maybe nine months and then it was back again in the groin so this time the doctor said we will have to go for more chemotherapy so we had a new type of cream. Uh, when you have chemotherapy, they don't give you the same one again because your body gets used to it, so they give you a different one. So we had fludarabine, cyclophosphamide, and mabthera together, and um, that lasted for about another six months. And then 2006, it was back for the fourth time. So we're thinking, hmm, this is not too good. Um, it's been becoming resistant to chemotherapy, as they had predicted, and the recurrence is becoming more... Uh, more frequent. Mm. How did you deal with the fact of this recurrence after recurrence? And it's really tough. Maybe second time round, it's, it's easier to deal with. But when it starts to be number three and number four, um, have you identified anything within yourself that, that gave you hope to keep pushing on through that? I was becoming despondent because it was following the normal um, expected um, pattern of becoming resistant resistant to chemotherapy and more frequent but um, yeah I guess I'm pretty stubborn I guess as a, as a person okay key number three <laughs> stubbornness pays off <laughs> make, make yourself an in, inhospitable host sorry determination may be a, a better word isn't it? <laughs> yes yes possibly a better word because uh, it brings about commitment to to the to the goal um, so now we're up to your relapse uh, 2006 you opted for a new type of treatment how did you learn about this treatment because this is very early days um, in the vaccine department uh, can you walk us also through the steps that were involved and if you can go into a bit of detail there it may be very helpful for listeners today mm-hmm. yeah well 2006 after the fourth relapse they were suggesting a stem cell transplant using my own stem cells but for some in re- some internal reason I wasn't comfortable with that and I had become aware of some experimental work being done in Brisbane where they grow your own vaccine 
from your cancer cells. So they take out the sample of the cancer and some special blood cells called dendritic cells and produce your own body's individual vaccine to the cancer. And to me, that made a lot of sense probably as an engineer but it seems it's using your immune system to fight the cancer and to remove it and it seemed to make so much sense to me I was aware of this because I was a member of a group called Lymphoma Australia a lymphoma support group based in Brisbane Mm -hmm. and I was aware of some work being done at the I think it was the Queensland Institute of Medical Research and the technology was being researched there so I, um, I was aware of it through that so I said to my doctor in Melbourne, I was not having a stem cell transplant and I was going to Brisbane to have a vaccine made and um, that would be what I was doing. And he crossed his arms and probably swore under his breath and wasn't very impressed that I'd made a decision against his uh, learned um, sort of technology, you know, learned um, acceptance, yeah. So. Yeah, and there it is another key. Be prepared to look outside the box. Yeah. Yeah, for treatments that may not be commonly known, but also scientifically valid. Yes. Well, I mean, this, the guy who was making the vaccine, he's a haematologist with a PhD. He's no, he's not, he's not a quack. He's very, you know, very intelligent, smart man doing some special research. So it just, something inside me said, no, this is what I want to do. I'm not having the stem cell transplant. I'm having my own vaccine, and that's what I was going to do. And then I was determined that that was going to work. So I went up to Brisbane. They did an operation to remove a lymph node from the groin. You need a lymph node 15 millimetres or larger. Mm-hmm. And they then extract some special blood cells called dendritic cells. Dendritic means tree-like for some reason, but dendritic cells are a component of your blood which are very important in your immune system. And they put you on the apheresis machine, which is like a centrifuge, spin out these dendritic cells, and then they mix the dendritic cells basically with the tumour in a test tube and it, it gets your own body's antibody to the, your cancer and then they multiply that using cell culture to produce a vaccine. So it's your own individual body's antibody to your specific cancer. So it's absolutely, you know, it's called an idiotype vaccine. So it's targeted to your, every little intricacy of your cancer is contained in your vaccine. So it's, you know, fascinating stuff. And how often uh, did you have to have the vaccine? And, and when uh, along that pathway of the vaccine did uh, your doctor start to see a response? Yes, well, we initially had injection four, once a week for four weeks and then once a fortnight for four weeks. So that was uh, eight injections over three months. And I was all clear after that. So wow. I'd made 33 doses of the vaccine because I kept in in the freezer so we still had 27 uh, left or sorry 20, 25 left and then uh, we just said well I'll come up every two months and have an injection every two months so I trotted up every two months and um, uh, um, we just kept testing on the way and everything's fine so probably a couple of years into the treatment the my doctor in Melbourne accepted yes this this cancer treatment is working. I was going to ask that question. Did you go back to him and say, look at me, uh, I'm doing well? Um, yes. Actually, at one stage, when I was there, he said, oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry the cancer's relapsed. I said, I said, no, it hasn't. He said, yes, it has. And he, we, So I agreed to have a CT scan and other tests. And 
and in the end he said, well, you're right, the number's wrong, so he's given up now, so I have an arrangement, if the cancer comes back, I tell him first, but um, he was adamant that the cancer would come back, so, but um, I was right, so that was, a, that was a couple of years into the vaccine, so we're now eight and a half years down the track, still remain cancer-free, and I still have injections. We're spitting the injections out to once every four months at the moment. In fact, I only have one injection left, so we'll have that probably next February, and that'll be the last injection we have. So we've used up all the injections we have. We have no more tumour. We can't make any more cancer, uh, any more vaccines because we don't have any cancer. Wow, that must be a real problem. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really, because your immune system has a memory of every disease you've had, so... We're expecting that after nine years of, of vaccine, my immune system will have a memory of what that cancer vaccine looks like it's ever needed. So you must have been uh, one of the very early patients here in Australia having this. Are you aware of any other patients who have gone through this process? Did you meet other patients along no, the way? No, I haven't met other patients. I'm aware that this particular doctor has had some very good successes with both lymphoma and also melanoma but I haven't met those patients because of you know, privacy considerations. No, no patient uh, waiting room chats then? No, no. I, I guess you were straight in and straight out once you just get your vaccine. Yeah? Well, it's only a five-minute procedure. All you do is walk in and they just put your injection into your leg in a few spots and you walk out. So there's no, side, you know, no pain, no side effects, no, that's it. That's what I haven't probably mentioned, but the vaccine has no side effects, so you don't have any... any whatsoever negative you know, side effects from the treatment it's just an injection into your leg Well, after what you had been through with all of your treatments you really must have thought this was in the realm of the miraculous <laughs> Yes, yes Because they're very, very rugged uh, treatments some of those ones you mentioned earlier Yes, and as I say I've had probably the cancer five times in the first seven years and then since I've started the, the vaccine which is now Approaching nine years, I've been cancer-free. So that's a remarkable turnaround from where I was sitting back in 2006. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm going to ask you this next question. We will run over into another break, and, of course, we can continue. But so often with cancer recovery, and particularly, it seems, with remarkable recoveries, there's often a person who comes into your life from out of left field. And um, I'd like to ask you about uh, that person. And Many people also say that there's some kind of a spiritual experience and an awakening, if you like, that comes uh, through the cancer uh, journey. And we talk a lot on the show about science in healing. So much we don't know, so much mystery. Could you share your story about meeting Jennifer Alderman and her impact on your cancer recovery? As I said, we will go into the next segment with this as well. Sure. Yeah, well, I guess it was late in 2006 after I started the treatment. I'd met this lady, Jennifer Alderman, at a basketball stadium in Morningston where our sons were playing table tennis together. And um, she heard me talking about the vaccine and she said, well, I've heard about you. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I went to see a medium called Michael Cartwright and I was having a session and she, he started telling me about a gentleman I was going to meet, a male who was having injections for uh, treatment and it was the best that modern medicine could, could offer. But she'd been told about my journey uh, before we actually met, which sort of, you know... <laughs> <in my> mind, <laughs> Ooh, Twilight Zone material. <laughs> I guess, you know, 
brief, it, it gave me confidence that, you know, that whatever you like, the universe or the spirit world or whatever you like to say, there was there's something outside what I knew, which was sort of directing me towards this treatment and what the message was that this treatment, there is really something in this treatment and it's like I'm like a pebble in a pond proving the treatment for other patients and they told me along the way that this treatment was working and would work. That gave me a lot of confidence, I suppose, that there was something in what I was doing. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a break right at this point, Jeffrey. Uh, don't go away, folks. You'll be back to hear the rest of this story and about the wonderful book that Jeffrey has written about his life and his recovery from cancer. Back soon. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Goller Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Goller Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze I'm Grace Gawler, your host here today with Jeffrey Deslandis who's talking about his recovery from stage 4 lymphoma and he has written a fantastic book I have it here sitting in front of me on the desk, it's got a great vibe about it, it's a good read it's a, it's a simple but profound read and I really recommend it, it's called From Cancer, Good Things Grow and you're probably getting a little bit of the drift that this has been an experience of uh, Jeffrey where he's really spun um, gold from straw. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeffrey, the impact that the book had on you writing your story, why did you write it? What was the, um, the push that you had to get this message out? And also uh, more about the, the book itself and its impact on you actually writing it. Okay, yeah, well, 
when I met Jennifer Alderman, it turned out she was what's called an intuitive massage therapist, where you go and have a massage, but she tells you amazing things about your body or about you from massaging you. So it's a bit, maybe a bit hard for readers to understand, but you're sort of having a massage, but she's, you know, the room's sort of filled with people who have passed on and they're telling you, telling you things to her and um, she's telling you stuff about what the universe is, is saying to you. And what they were saying was this vaccine therapy needs to be got out there, it needs to be accepted and there's a lot of closed doors, doctors don't want to accept it and we need to get the message out that vaccine therapy is working, will work and can be used for all cancers and it's just an amazing story. So the message they were saying to you is, to me, was people need to be told about the vaccine and they say the message is not getting out there and through one session with Jennifer she said I want you to write, they're saying to you to write a book and she said the book's in three parts, before cancer, the cancer journey and life after cancer and but it's totally up to you. You, you we'd like you to do it but don't feel you have to it's your decision anyway I thought about it and I went home and then one morning about quarter to five I woke up from bed and which is unusual for me and I went into the lounge room and I grabbed some sheets of A4 paper about eight sheets and I scribbled for about an hour and a half and that was the complete outline of the book I just scribbled and then I just sat down and filled in that book filled in those um that outline and that was how i wrote the book it was such an easy book to write because it was laid out for me um on this on these sheets of paper so the process of writing the book probably only took about three months because um you know people said to me oh you have to do a writing course before you write a book i said no i don't it's, it's not it, i don't have to make the story up it's, it's my life story it's all there for me so it was very easy to write because um, it was right out for me. Mm, fantastic. Uh, you hadn't had much background in this kind of thing before. So how, how was it for you kind of hearing this information? And um, I guess you were obviously open to it. Yes, I didn't have any medical background at all, but I was surprised how quickly I, I picked that area up and uh, very familiar with it now compared to engineering. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, on the cover of the book, uh, as I said, love the title. Um, was the title something you came up with? Because uh, it's a beautiful reframe of such a negative thing like cancer. You know, from cancer, good things grow and the relationship with the cells. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's got a hidden meaning. I, I, I came up with the title, it just came to me one day and it was, I emailed with Jennifer and she said, absolutely, that's perfect. Um, yeah, it's got two meanings, I guess, from cancer, just how, what good things coming out of having cancer, what good things come out of having had cancer yourself as a person, so I'm talking about that, but it's also from cancer, the vaccine is grown, so that's the hidden title, yeah. the hidden meaning of the title is from cancer, the good thing, the vaccine is grown. And uh, on the cover, I see that uh, it looks like you've been in a race of some kind. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, just, I guess I took up, started to take up running, so it was just a 10-kilometre run in the Melbourne Marathon in 2009. I'd ran 51 minutes, so I was pretty proud of. So 
that was just at the Melbourne Cricket Ground after the marathon, or after the 10-kilometre run, so that's just a photo that was taken. Yeah, but I was trying to prove also that just because you've had cancer, there's nothing you can't do afterwards. Why, you know, it doesn't stop me doing anything. It's a non-event. Yeah, it's a great photo. It uh, looks like someone who's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I think just just a 10-kilometre run, I think that's quite impressive. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to move on now to, uh, as you said, the sections in the book. And uh, in the first section, there's uh, one called titled uh, Relationships. I'd like to uh, revisit the several areas of relationship in your life uh, before, during and after cancer. Um, you mention how it was uh, with your wife. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in 1960, your mum, you say, was diagnosed with breast cancer. How did she manage and what was the impact on you given her diagnosis and ultimately her survival? Yes, well, my mother had um, breast cancer and she had a mastectomy, a removal of the breast, and um, there was no other treatment in those days. But um, she was um, had great religious faith and she sort of that carried her through. But um, she sort of... I did, to be honest, it didn't have a great impact on me because I was quite young. My father was devastated. I think the fact that you know his wife losing a breast, I suppose, was you know pretty significant. And uh, but um, she just put it behind her, and uh, she lived for another forty-five years after that, and didn't die from breast cancer. So it didn't affect her her survival whatsoever. You guys might have a survivor gene in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so certainly at some level that uh, might have an impact or have has had an impact on you. Um, I was interested in the section about when you were diagnosed and how tough that is on partners. And I think so many people listening today are going to relate to this. Um, how did your wife cope? I mean, you had a couple of small kids, I think, still at home, didn't you, um, when you were diagnosed? And you're the breadwinner. You become very, very ill. That's a lot of pressure on a relationship. Yeah, it did put a lot of pressure on the relationship because suddenly I was home. Um, I was still bringing money in for the first period, but um, and then I had to retire from work. So it did put a lot of pressure on it, and um, she became very angry. And our um, home life became not very pleasant, and that was an added pressure when I was going through treatment. So it wasn't a very harmonious time, and I guess. In later years, I learned that my wife didn't love me through sickness and health, and you know, some probably some seven years later than I chose to leave at that stage, I didn't do it straight away. Yeah, but it did add, add pressure to our relationship very much. And very difficult for someone who's going through uh, an illness and, and something that might not have a good outcome. Uh, it's a very unattended to area and, you know, you cross over it in the book, but I think it's very important that you have it in there because I think this is not an uncommon experience. No, it's very hard for a, a partner to know how to act when, when their partner is, um, you know, having cancer treatment quite a difficult area. 
Yes, and back in those days too, it wasn't as much good news around as there seems to be uh, today. But uh, for anybody who is listening, and if you see yourself in that pattern, uh, perhaps you could get yourself uh, an appointment with a counsellor, a hospital counsellor, nurse practitioner, counsellor, because I think it's very helpful to talk about the issues that are going on at home because, you know, they really can be very stressful and impact um, healing. Um, so what about relationships with others, uh, Jeffrey? Friends, family since your diagnosis and recovery. Do people treat you differently? Uh, they tend to, yeah. I, you know, when you say, people say, well, the first conversation is what, what you do because people expect you to work, you know, for, for a position in the company is, is that, is that who you are? I say, oh, look, I'm, I'm retired, I'm unemployed. Um, I say, oh, you're so lucky. I said, no, I've had cancer. And they go, oh, you've had cancer. And they then look down upon you. So I say, well, there's nothing to be looked down upon. I've never been healthy, but it's just a journey I've been through. But people do treat you differently because you've had cancer and they think you're going to die. So I've tended now to not actually mention that too often, just say I've retired or whatever. Yeah, yeah, not a great calling card. <laughs> no, like I guess going through the journey, you do work out who your true friends are, those that stick through you with through thick and thin, and those that have you know not not bothered. So it helps you sort out those true friends in your life. Yeah, and and some of those true friends uh, are they people from back a long way, or are they more people that you've gathered along the way? Uh, yeah, just people I've gathered along, along the way, but um, you know, I've worked out now who those friends are, who those friends and family are, yes. Mm. So, uh, the relationship with the oncologist uh, in Brisbane that was making the vaccines, um, kind of what do you think about him today and uh, what are your uh, kind of survival thoughts, I suppose? Because he's really uh, provided you with another chance at life. I mean, that's so, I know from my own personal experience, having had surgeries overseas and having my own life saved, um, it's pretty remarkable and the respect I think that you can generate for these people is incredible. How is it for you with this guy? Oh yes, I've got a very good relationship with him because he know, he's known me now for almost nine years and um, uh, he's always very pleased to see me and they're, you know, continue to be, continue to be amazed by my survival and um, I guess I'm one of his star patients um, and I've along the way supported his foundation that he had to to fund his work so I've donated to that and given my time and given talks and so forth but yeah we have a good relationship Great. We're going to come back in a moment uh, in the last session today. We'll tell you a little bit more about the book. We'll tell you where you can uh, buy this book. What a great gift for someone at Christmas time who's been diagnosed, particularly with a blood-based cancer, but I think basically any cancer. So uh, if you're looking for a good read for somebody, I'd highly recommend it. And uh, when we come back after the break, we'll talk more about where the funds are going from this book. So don't go away. We'll be back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze with Jeffrey Deslandis. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. 
The Institute's founder has almost 40 years experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegoller.com. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at one 866 472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. And welcome back to our last session today on navigating the cancer maze. Uh, I know you uh, will have enjoyed today listening to Jeffrey's story. So, uh, Jeffrey, what are some of the key learnings? If you could do a bit of a recap over um, what we've just spoken about in this last uh, 50 minutes, uh, key learnings from your story that you can pass on to others. Yes, I think probably what I've learned is life is precious and it can change so quickly your survival can suddenly be upturned and you, know, you need to learn what's important in your life and um, I guess for me I've learned that um, your work for a man your position in the company is not who you are so I thought I was the environmental manager at BHP and worldwide company and that's who I was and and then I've learned that's not who I was you know that's just the position in the company and a lot of men in particular think that's who they are in life and uh, there's far more important things than um, your work position you know your family your, your own private life so um, I think that's an important thing I learned that um, there's far more important things than that and I guess also to never give up that um, determination to never give up and accept uh, uh, some what someone else is saying as being true. Um, so, you know, I was told that my cancer would invariably come back and I would die, and uh, I was, wouldn't accept that. And uh, there are many, many cases of people with cancer who have survived the odds, and it's inexplicable how how they're, you know, survived against all medical evidence. So um, you always got to cling to hope and be determined. Very good advice. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about today from the book 
and you very kindly sent me some copies and uh, I have read it um, so that's why I can recommend it to everybody uh, anything from the book that you'd like to share or anything indeed at all um, that we might not have touched on so far um, yeah, it's not a not a long book and I didn't see the point of putting my whole life story in the book it's more I've kept the book deliberately fairly short so that people who may have cancer can't have the wouldn't have the concentration to sit through a long book so mm. what I've tried to do is keep the book fairly short and concise and more relevant to um, the cancer so who I, who I thought I was prior to the cancer then the cancer journey and then the life after cancer so it's um yeah i think a fairly concise book i like some of the photos in there too <laughs> yeah i've tried to make it real by having actual photos in there of, of my life as, as i've gone through it and uh, yeah i guess we didn't touch on my brother who was 26 when he died from a brain tumor so that was sort of another <laughs> member of the death landy's family <laughs> family afflicted by cancer but poor David died when he was 26 from the brain tumor so that was probably pretty devastating to myself and to my parents at that stage and so that was something that we I haven't we haven't talked about before yeah yeah I remember that from the book um, that must have been quite a, a, a devastating impact yes because I was 21 or 22 at the time I, I thought them well, perhaps that I would have a brain tumour as well. You know, it had a big effect on me and probably still does, but um, that's pretty, you know, there's a lot of people who lose a, a child through cancer or other means, so it's not, not that unusual, but something you have to deal with. Mm, it's it's not unusual for people to have lots of relatives, uh, close and otherwise, in families these days who uh, have cancer. Mm. So your situation is very relatable, um, I'm sure, with many of our listeners. Yes. Um, getting along to where can people buy the book, and um, how is it? Uh, how is it available? It's an e-book and a soft cover, isn't it? Yes, you can. It's um. There's I think something like fifteen thousand bookstores online selling the book, but the main the publisher is Balboa Press, so based in the US. So that's probably a good place. So just Google from cancer good things grow they do a lot of self-help books don't they they do yeah, yeah, yeah a good organization good. yeah good and uh, so you've got the ebook you've got the soft cover book and tell us about what you're going to do with the proceeds from the book um we're looking at putting a hundred percent of the proceeds to help uh the doctor making the vaccine so uh, any proceeds from the sales of the book will go towards the foundation supporting the vaccine research which is absolutely fantastic because that's going to give a lot of other people uh, the opportunity uh, to have the treatment that you had. Yes. I don't know how I can say this, but I know that vaccine therapy will one day be a normal treatment for all cancer. I don't know how, what basis I can say that, but I just know it in my heart that vaccine will be used for all cancer treatment. And it's such a... Such a simple process. Your own body's immune system um, has the capability of killing cancer cells. It's part of its normal function. So it's just assisting your immune system to recognise the cancer and to remove it. And um, it's as simple as that. And it doesn't have any side effects. 
Yep, makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you're aware in June of this year it was uh, immunotherapy month uh, in the USA and I had uh, various guest speakers on and one from Cancer Research Institute in New York. They had just launched their new website because they're working in immunology and raising funds also for immunotherapies all around the world and they had a new website that they launched called I'm the answer to cancer.com and that's a really really lovely title because more and more um, we're getting people now looking into the function of the immune system and instead of saying well there's a cancer in there let's kill it uh, your immune system already does know what to do it just needs some help that's right yes yeah, so it's very, very exciting. Um, what other things do you do in your life, Jeffrey? You've mentioned you like to do a bit of running. What are your other hobbies? Oh, I make um, guitars out of biscuit tins. I make um, what's called a slide guitar using a, a biscuit tin. That's one of my hobbies. Wow, that's make, different. <laughs> yeah, it plays sort of, but it's a slide guitar. They use a glass slide to sort of wobble the notes and mm-hmm. has, a, has a particular um, sound. Um, I've got five children that all, even though they're grown up, they all seem to always need some sort of help. Um, do a bit of volunteer work. Um, also, like to travel as well. Enjoy myself by travelling. So, yeah. Not sure what else I do. That's sounds like a very full life <laughs> and a very enjoyable one. Yeah, stay healthy because I'm, you know, absolutely perfect health and um, nothing I can't do. So, I really enjoy. It. Basically, I enjoy every day. Every day is a gift. So I just love every day. It's just get up and sunshine and travel and, yeah. Great. It's a wonderful story. And, uh, Jeffrey, going back to my introduction in your book, From Cancer, Good Things Grow, you write the book is about your life leading up to your first diagnosis, the cancer journey, and your life beyond cancer. And certainly today you have done your very best to explain what it's really like to be faced with life-threatening cancer and to come through that experience and uh, survive, and not only survive, but thrive. Thank you so much for being available today to talk with us on navigating the cancer maze. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And folks, buy the book. (laughs) It'll help a lot of people. I'll see you next week, or at least we will meet on the airwaves and navigating the cancer maze. Have a wonderful weekend, folks, and I look forward to our next encounter on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon, U.S. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.